is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. All right, we are back. Another podcast edition. Jay and Keith talking hoops, men's basketball. We'll talk women's basketball. They open up the Southern Conference slate. May I ask Keith who is the all-injured SoCon team? Uh, that seems to be a popular thing. There are some guys coming back from injury, but still a lot of folks that have missed games you know, yeah. on the men's side of action. And then, of course, there is some football news, not just around the Southern Conference, but MCS and uh, big one there as well, yes. but we will focus on the move down in Macon, Georgia at some point and talk about what in the world are the Mercer Bears going to do. Somebody is making moves and making, making tracks. tracks to Annapolis. Knew where you were going with that, finally. Yes, but where they're going to be making bacon. some serious bacon. Yeah. Well, at least they're not making whoopee anymore. So <laughs> we got that going on there. I really, did you have to? You had to. Well, we dropped four names that they've used, so I figure might as well do the some would say the best, some maybe not. I don't know. So let's talk, let's talk basketball. It's fresh on my mind. Last yes, night. let's do it. Uh, I'm going to start with Karad Boyd. And if there was any question what his energy, defense, and rebounding brings to the team, I thought it was very evident last night. Emphasis on the, the rebounding. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I think defensively, one of the better rebounders uh, on the team, if not the best rebounder on the team. And offensively, one of the best rebounders in the country. That so what he can do defensively, what he can do on the glass, specifically on the offensive glass, which he just really throw. I mean, that was the shocker. It wasn't that Western shot the ball well because you can look at stats at some of their games and they've shot the ball well in lots of games. They got beaten pretty good on the glass at ETSU, and I thought yes. that was the biggest shock. Um, and I thought, boy, Karan, especially where he just keeps balls alive, some of the, I think you could draw off his energy. So energy, defense, rebounding was clearly missed. Now, that being said, I thought it was good to see Justice Smith, you know, mm-hmm. miss a few weeks. Uh, coaches want to get him kind of on the same page. Clearly, he looked on the same page last night. No turnovers, 8 points, 16 minutes of action. Thought defensively he looked pretty good as well. So I think that was good. I think, uh, you know, Gabe Sisk got his first start. He had been playing better. That might not have been the best matchup for him. I do think right. last night's game was a good matchup for Karan Boyd and not a good matchup for Gibson. I would agree with that because, I mean, that position, really, you're asking that guy to start on Monterius Woolwright. And they ended up having to put Seymour on Woolwright. And Seymour did fine. Um, we even saw a little bit of DJ Hughes on Woolwright, and I didn't think he was just drowning out there, which was nice to see. Um, Woolwright was frustrated from the field. You could tell he was getting frustrated. But he got his points by getting to the free throw line, and he was one assist shy of the first triple-double against ETSU since Kay Felder in 2016. You remember that in Vegas for Oakland. Um, and I thought I thought Justin Gray was going to run a set at the end to get the ball in his hand so he could get that last assist to get the triple-double. But, uh, you know, I thought overall um, ETSU did some things that were a little uncharacteristic. Like you talked about, their offensive glass performance was very lacking. They had three offensive rebounds on 24 opportunities in the first half. That's not anywhere close to getting it done. And Western Carolina would go down the floor after limiting ETSU one and done, and they they'd find uh, they'd find 
Jackson or Jones open for a three. And it just seemed like that happened three or four straight trips down the floor, and you're like, God, you got to be kidding me. This is happening again. Because remember last year, late in the first half at Freedom Hall, I think it was Russell Jones who got open in the corners a couple times and knocked down like three threes in the last three and a half minutes. And that broke the back of ETSU. The game turned into a blow in the second half. And that happened a little bit earlier this time. I thought it would be later in the game that Western would hit some threes and ETSU would have to dig deep for the response. Well, they hit those threes early. They got their double-digit lead early, and ETSU struggled to respond. And I thought pressed a little bit. They were taking some bad shots early in possessions and just rushing things. And Ebi Asamoa in particular, I thought he rushed a few shots where maybe if he takes it inside, and we saw this in the second half, there was one where he got a clean look from the left side that forced Justin Gray to a timeout. He took it to the he took it to the paint, and he got it to Parker on the baseline. Parker bodies his way down to the block. He sucks the defenders in. There's an open look for Asamoah on the left wing. He kicks it out to Ebby, and Ebby drills it. And coming straight down the floor and taking that shot five seconds into a possession, eight seconds into a possession, versus running your offense – and being a little bit more deliberate and trying to get the uh, get the defense out of position, I think is a difference in ETSU not being able to get out of that hole and ETSU being able to grind its way back into the basketball game. But it all started with, yeah, they took some shots that needed to go in that didn't go in, and Western Carolina had three purple jerseys under the basket when those shots popped back out uh, because they're an elite defensive rebounding team. Yes, they missed Karan Boyd, but... I still think there are things that ETSU could have done execution-wise to keep themselves in that basketball game to keep it closer so that we weren't wondering, is this when Western goes on the 8 nothing run, the 10 nothing run in the second half that puts this game in blowout territory? ETSU never got blown out. Right, It got to 16. They got it back down to 14 final margin. They were able to cut it to 12, cut it to 11 a few times. But it was never just a true blowout. The Bucks were competitive after that first few minutes where Western kind of knocked them off balance. Well, that's a disturbing back-to-back trend, too. It was 12-0 UNCG. It was 10-2 yeah. Western Carolina. For whatever reason, the Bucks just kind of get behind the eight ball. And, and on the road, that's been more of a trend than at home, so I think that was a bit of a, a shocker. Um, Western now matches their longest win streak in the history of the series, going back to the 94 through 98 with the Frankie King and Quell days, which I know you remember vividly, Keith. Um, yes, absolutely. Yes, like so, it was yesterday. I, so, a master largest, that's five in a row. That's the largest there. And, you, you know, the pendulum has swung. And I just felt like ETSU the last couple games has not been ready for Southern Conference, conference just conference games. Because I think the physicality when you get into league play across the league picks up. I think the officiating, you know, they tr- it's a little more let players make plays, let players decide the game. And I think ETSU has been shocked by that, just to be honest with you, with the physicality not being able to match it. And that's something I thought maybe they had turned a corner at Utah State because I felt like there they kind of realized, hey, you know, this you know, this is a little bit higher level competition, and that carried them again against East Carolina. Mercer made it a physical game, so I'm thinking, okay, UNCG, they're going to be ready before that, and it, it, it looked like maybe they weren't. And then last night, I think it took a while for ETSU to kind of 
Russell Jones Jr. again continues to impress me with what he does defensively and his basketball IQ because I, for the life of me, kept trying to figure out why is he letting the ball roll up the court when he's winning. And then it took me about six possessions of crushing him on air before I realized he's a secret genius because the shot clock doesn't start until he picks it up. So instead of a 30-second possession, they were getting a 40 or 42 second possession. And that's why Brian Jones, he says the coach sitting next to me, is screaming and pleading, go get the ball, meaning yeah. go pick up. Don't let him roll it up where everyone else is going, yeah, the clock's running. I'm like, well, A, you're down, so you probably don't want the clock to run. Right. But could not figure out when you're – I've never seen anybody do that when you're winning, but then when it was like the next to last time he did it, I noticed the shot clock didn't start until he touched the basketball. And I was like, oh, he's still in yeah, 10 extra seconds. Yeah. So uh, me and Bruce actually did not pick that up, and I think Bruce uh, – Shot clock just started, and I was like, "Then the light bulb went off for me, and I'm like, oh man!" So he probably stole four. I mean, if, if he did it, I, I can remember five or six times. If he did it eight times, and there's ten seconds per time, I mean, that's an extra three possessions. ETSU did not have a chance to have the basketball. On top of what you mentioned, not getting offensive rebounds. Um, and, and for Karan Boyd, a lot of people asked me last night, leaving, "Hey, do we have no band over there?" No. So he hurt his foot at Utah State. Yep, and he's been playing kind of with it, or not, you know, give Brett Lewis credit. He's been able to get him out there and feeling pretty good. But yesterday's shoot around, it was about I got there halfway through, and at that time Boyd was not participating, and I thought maybe a little bit of precaution. And then talking to, uh, to Coach Savage about an hour before the game, and basically he had told me, you know, yeah, he was going, but the foot didn't feel right. They tried a few different things, you know, uh, and, and, and Savage looked at me and goes. Do you Serious? And I was like, yes, of course. Uh, to me, it feels like if, if Ron Boyd's not going to go, I, I think it's, it's bad. Like, you know, I, I think if he's been playing through that other games, and it's like, hey, I just I don't know. So now the biggest question is, you know, will he be back coming up Saturday, which is another big one, which is another team that's dealing with injuries. Yes. And the Furman Paladins. Oh, uh, Furman's starting to get a little bit healthy. Vanderwall didn't play uh, last night, but – they didn't need him against the Citadel. Uh, Peggy is F- back. Foster didn't play. Foster Foster also did not play. Right. Uh, Vanderwall did. Vanderwall did? He had 10 points. Okay. I, I Bruce told me he didn't play. I'm just, I'm, okay. Right, uh, and, and I didn't, and I just, I literally just clicked on the box score, so that's the only reason I, I'm saying he didn't play. Uh, I yes, he, he did, uh, but the, the big one for me is J.P. Pegeese, because if Pegeese is out there, then they have legitimate shot-making capability. He's the straw that stirs the drink for that team, which, if you watch them in the SOCON tournament and in the NCAA tournament last year, is not the least bit surprising to you that this guy turned the corner late this freshman year, and he's an extremely important piece of what they do. Even if he's not the one taking the shots and hitting the shots, he can create shots for other people. He's a player that you really have to respect on the perimeter that can create opportunity, makes the guys around him better. And with him back and feeling a little bit more confident, a little bit more in rhythm, I think Furman is going to start to look more like the team people thought could win the SOCON. But after seeing Western Carolina last night, I haven't seen Sanford yet. I'm excited to see them because they seem pretty balanced. These, I think those three teams really stand out to me. If Furman gets rolling, UNCG a bit of a dark horse. Those look like the Western Carolina last night looked like a team that can win the SoCon tournament going away. Um, they're going to be a 
lot of teams in this league, and I'm very excited to see where that goes. Um, and I also think Justin Gray, 12 wins in 14 games this season, right? They're 12-2 and two after the win last night. Uh, I think you probably need to put him on some coaching carousel radars because he's a name that's going to get some attention as Western Carolina continues to stack victories. Well, and, you know, his old teammate who has kicked into the collective, Chris Paul, will probably help him, yeah. uh, especially when he says, hey, on the collective, I got this guy you may have heard of who's maybe played in the league for quite some time, who's made a lot of money, who will be kicking into the collective to make sure that I am successful. Yes. And uh, I talked to a couple of their folks last night about that clearly the CP3 collective that has tossed a few bucks the Catamount's way has helped maintain some of the players that they thought they may have lost. I know they thought Trey Jackson was going to move on, but he was scared of the double transfer. Then, of course, that doesn't matter. So, but nobody did know that at the point. You know, and, and Wolverine is seeing the nah, I would have stayed for Gray, but I'm wondering, did he stay for Gray because it was Gray and Green, or was it just Gray? Well, well I also think uh, his complete unwillingness to take any jump shot of any kind probably would put some teams off of him. He's, he, everything else he does at an extremely high level, but if you can't jump shoot, you're not going to have the ball in your hands very much in the Power 5, Power okay. 6. Let, let's uh, jump back into Furman real quick, just because it's the next game Saturday. ETS should play Wofford. Wofford had a hard-fought nail-biter against the Mercer Bears. The most impressive thing, uh, looking at the stat sheet from last night's game, 28 assists on 33 makes. Good That's, Lord. That is... I, I know Furman is always one of the tops assist to turnover as a team. They've always got a guard, uh, rather it's Alex Hunter, J.P. Begeese. Now all of a sudden, Carter Witt's giving you a ten, Witt had ten, ten, two, <laughs> ten assists and two turnovers. You start looking at but they had twi- I don't know. Goodness. It's been a while since I, since you've seen that. that but that's Furman nuts. basketball. You know, uh, they, they run a you know a little bit of that Princeton style, right? They, they get guys in the top, but it's not quite like it used to, right? They don't have the facilitator, uh, you know, that in, in this type of day where a Garrett Heem, I think, was kind of in the mold of how they would have did that. Mm-hmm. They don't have that type of guy, uh, you know, because right. the Slossons aren't there um, that have been able to run kind of that point and then let them facilitate it. So now it's up to the guards. Now, that, that being said, Alex Williams had a career day with 26 points. He also had four assists as right. a big man. But they're that when Furman's playing its best, they're sharing the ball. They're very unselfish. Again, they've always, um, even going back to the Nico days and, and now the Bob Ritchie days, I mean, those uh, coaches do a great job of taking care of the basketball, not turning the ball over. Outstanding numbers when you're talking about that. You know, again, the walking wounded, the Citadel did get. This has been a little bit uh, for Pegues. You know, he played against Chattanooga. It was his first game back. I think it was 8 for 20 or not the Lord in that game. 4 for 20. So he had a rough kind of day shoot, but it was his first game back. Right. A little bit more in sync, I think. 4 for 9, 2 of 7 from 3. He was 0 for in the first game Chattanooga. What scares me is now this is game 3. He's really got back in the It would be interesting to see how the bull reacts now that he's alert. Yeah, well, it, yes, yes, and, and and we all know how I enjoy Furman point guards. That um, you know, they're to me they're they're fun to watch. I think they do a good job. Yeah, if, well, if, if they weren't wearing purple, you'd be big fans. 
Yeah, I was, you know. Because we know your feelings on purple as well. Right. Alex Hunter may, may be on my Rushmore of people that didn't wear ETSU uniform except for the back knee. How do you how do you feel about Prince, by the way? I never did. I never. I've always been curious because I mean, purple was kind of his thing. It is. Uh, I don't. I don't know that I'm a Purple Rain guy, but there's yeah. you know Little Red Corvettes. Oh, we could get into 1999. I've I've I played actually I played his vinyl uh, at my New Year's Eve party. Nice. So um, I, I am I, I do I am a Prince guy. I'll give I went I, I went to Paisley Park. Wow. Like shortly after he passed, uh, I went to Paisley Park um, in Chanhassen, and because uh, it was like a three-hour drive from my house, and I was going to spend the weekend in Minneapolis anyway. I was like, oh, let's go to Paisley Park. And I don't know that it was worth it at the time. I think it's probably better because imagine going to Graceland in that window right after the crowds died down, after Elvis died, and right before it hit its stride as a tourist attraction when they figured stuff out. There's that lull in there. That's kind of where Paisley Park was when, when I went. And I, it was like, so you're like eh, this is neat, but... Like, I don't, you know, this is, they're, they're making a big deal of where Prince ate his last bowl of cereal while he was watching Timberwolves highlights, you know. It was, it was a little bit, there was, there needed to be more to it. There's more, there needed more time to build the museum, I think. Yes. But, yes. Breaking I, down cereal, then yes, we probably need to know. His know. his recording studio was really cool, and people still use that. And Corey Wong took his band in there and did a, a, an entire set um, that, that studio is still active. It's, it's, it's pretty cool to be in that. And that part of it was really neat. I don't think that was an instrument he couldn't play, right? Wasn't he one of those guys that could just, just about and go? Guitar, yeah, yeah, lead guitar, bass guitar, piano, drums. I mean, anything that you needed to make pop music, he could do it. I don't know that he could play any horns or violin or something, but he was definitely he talented. Horns. I could do maybe, maybe he could. I could do two. Two. Yeah. I don't know about violins. I think you're probably correct on that. He's a horn guy. I don't know. Maybe he's not a horn guy. Each issue firm, I don't know how we, we digress a lot. Um, Purple. It was. And that, hey, listen, I do like Prince. And I have. Uh, I did like Alex Hunter. And I think J.P. McGeese is in that mold and having him back. And I think Carter Wentz may be the, a guy last year that people were disappointed in. Um, they kind of figured it out because he kind of got in the mix. And then, honestly, he kind of fell under a rock where I think, you know, he struggled time. I don't know that he was, what's the popular term, buying in, right? He wasn't a guy that was, that was kind of running the system. And, you know, I'll say a lot about Bob Ritchie, and I think, you know, he's got a system. It's worked. You know, I was critical until he used more bench, and when he started to use more bench, he won a championship. And that was the thing that I said, I'm going to harp on this until he figures out that he's got to play more than six guys in, at a time because they will have legs at the end of the year, and they've done enough. And it was in the string of get to a championship game, have your heart ripped out yeah. by David Jean Baptiste, and as the string continues to the conference, you use that to motivate you the next year. You come back and win a championship. I think it was four or five years, or five out of six years, or right. something crazy like that, where the team lost a championship game, came back the next year. And right now they've got a reliable seven in the rotation without Foster, who would probably be yeah. oh, yeah, the yeah. eighth guy in that rotation. Yeah. He would not be the eighth guy in the rotation, but it would be a number eight, an eighth player that you would be rotating in and out. Uh, and he was averaging like 18 points a game. And yeah, he hadn't played in a while. Uh, if they get him back, then I think you, you'll witness the power of this fully armed and operational battle station down at Greenville. And there are a lot of players, too, that have waited their turn at Furman. And Foster's one of those guys that had to play 
Wilson and trying to get in there. And those yeah. guys obviously don't. So he waited his turn. He's developed. He reminds me uh, a very different type player, but how Clay Mounts kind of couldn't get on the floor and eventually was able to get on the floor. Foster, you know, has, has bided his time. And for college basketball nowadays where people aren't waiting and aren't doing, you know, I, I want to give Foster credit because he, he kind of, you know, like, hey, maybe can see it in a couple of years. I can be this guy. And he started to be the guy. And an injury happened and a, no update uh, on when he may return. But if he returns on Saturday as well or whenever he returns, with the fact that he gets back game ready and Champion Denise is now game ready, the Furman Paladins are going to look way different than where I think a lot of people were poking at him when they lost the, the game to Anderson Cobb. Well, it is, it is fun to poke at him. And, yes, they did still lose to a D2. That yeah, does, that doesn't, doesn't we're only going to bring that up because it's what we did to Sanford and everybody else is losing to those guys. Sanford lost to UT Southern, yeah. Which wasn't even a D2. It was a C, is it NAIA. NAIA. Yeah, NAIA. It's still an NAIA, yeah. It's the only Tennessee public four-year university, I think, that's not a D1. How about that? There's a stat for you that I don't come up with. Yeah. There's a lot of stats I don't come up with. Uh, look at the records real quick in, in – League play so far. 14-2, you mentioned Western. But they're 3-0 and off to a quick start. A big one tonight. Uh, we record this on Thursday right now around lunchtime. It's Sanford and UNCG. Both undefeated. That's at Sanford. And then UNCG on Saturday is going to turn around and play at Chattanooga. So they got a nice little two-game uh, road test for the Spartans. Wofford's a 2-1 and one and really – had an opportunity to tie the game late at West Carolina. And that's the one thing I want to say West Carolina I thought impressed me with. I've watched a few of their games. They've struggled to close out. And last night they did a great job of just stiff-arming ETSU away. Get it to 14, 15, 16. Bucks get it to 12, 11, 10. Boom, back up to 16 quickly. Bucks get about down to 12, 4-0 run, back to 16. And just, I think maybe the Bucks got it to 9 once. But it was very, I think it was a 7 nothing run right after that. So, Western had not been able to do that. So, to me, Western becomes a more dangerous team because they have been able to do that. Wofford was a team that had a shot late on them and, and couldn't quite get it. Chats, 1-1, they played VMI tonight again. We're recording on Thursday. Uh, and then you look at ETSU versus Furman. So, ETSU Furman, one of those teams is going to go to 1-3 and three early in the season and not be where certainly they thought they think it's going to be a really interesting race. I think there's still there's four teams to me that make sense, and there's a couple teams that I could be talked into, including ATSU, uh, by the time we get to Asheville. Let's talk about some more basketball. What is this noise? This is Chill Wave. Ever listen to Chill Wave? We got some new bump music? Yeah. Let's go. New year. New year, new us. Uh, and 23 minutes in, we are on our way with new bump music. And it's you, it, we'd, we'd want, you'd wanted that for a while, and I finally had some downtime and, yesterday. And, yeah, and uh, you know, A, I'm not hip. Uh, yeah. B, I don't know that I've listened to any type of music or anything in the last decade, so I figure if we could freshen up bump music, you would be way more yes. inclined and or better at that than you yeah. 
Uh, that was a pretty awkward transition because I tried to fade into it, and then it wasn't long enough, so I had to immediately, immediately fade it right, out. So, so we learn. We're learning. We're oh, learning. By the way, we switched seats today. We did. It looks different. We did. Yes. No. I. I am. I am running the show now. I have the buttons. Admiral has the con. Yeah. We're gonna <laughs> see. Yeah. We're gonna. We're I don't gonna know that I'm gonna like this. I don't know if I'm gonna like this. I'm not instantly regretting it, but about 24 minutes in, I regret. Yes. You, know, you. You might. You might. You might. I mean, we. We like to. We. We also need to. I feel like we need to keep it down. Like the. You know, we got coaches' offices right next door to us. Kevin Brown's over here trying to do work, and he's probably at the table yelling. Just need to keep it. Keep it mellow. Keep it. Keep it on. Keep it on a low, low bassy register. I like talking this way because it makes everything sound important. Again, I've regretted this. All right. You, but, yo, you will. We talk, we're talking you women's will. basketball. This I is going to be. Oh, I've, I've got transition to women's basketball. We're trans. Yes, we're transitioning to women's okay. basketball. Uh, I've got the gift board that is the instant replay back. Oh we're gonna. We're gonna. You want to witness the full power of this battle station, man? <laughs> I got it for yeah, you. Yeah. But um, SoCon women's hoops. ETSU opens tonight against Samford. As we take this uh, in about six and a half hours, uh, the Bucks take on the Samford Bulldogs, and uh, ETSU in an interesting position because they haven't really played all that well for most of the last five, six games. We go back to Lisa McCray after they really had that strong game against Charleston Southern. You can say Charleston Southern is not really good, but yeah. But you still played a really solid 40 minutes. You got some great bench production. And since then, they haven't really played quite at that level in terms of offensive effectiveness and efficiency where they're just they're getting good looks and they're just not going in um, and despite that they're 11 and four coming into conference play so as I sit here and I say wow you know this team's really not playing very well and they're still winning games they still beat UNC Asheville which is a decent big South team they still uh, you know, found a way to put away Gardner Webb. Probably should have put Gardner away at Webb earlier than they did, but they found a way to hold on and win that one when Gardner Webb was starting to look a little bit scrappy. Um, you know, they they see out Coker. I know it got a little bit wobbly at the end, and the only one by 12. And you could freak out about that if you wanted to, but they had control of that game really until about the last two minutes. And by that point, there was nothing that Coker could do about it. So I mean, they're not playing great, but they're still winning games. They've still won, uh, golly, what, of those games where I said, well, yeah, you know, they really could have played better, could have done this, could have done that. They've done six games, and they've won five of those. And they played really, really well against Campbell in, in the middle of all of that. So I think this is a team that needed a little bit of a breather, needed to get back in the gym, get some shots up, get see the ball go in, and build some confidence and tonight, I'm very curious to see how much that practice time, which is really, it wasn't as many practices as you think. It was like, I think it was like 10. But it, how much does that time of just pure practice in the middle of the season benefit uh, this ETSU team? Yeah, I think, the, I think it's so amazing the difference in a year. Last year, if we're sitting here talking – with the same record, and we're like, wow, what, yeah. you know, unbelievable. Now, because they've had success, and they returned so many key pieces, there are expectations. It's about how you win as much as did you win. Yeah, and I think Coach Mox has accepted that when we talked on the coaches' show. It was like, 
I said, yeah, I, I said, you know, we, we've made a joke about, hey, sometimes the, the, the perennial powerhouses, if they don't win by 30, people go, oh, what's wrong with them, right? You can get one of them. And no, and we're not expecting ETSU to beat, you know, Gardner Webber by 30, but using that as a, a, a little bit of example, when you play a team, it's like, okay, they're favored in this one. They should probably, this should be an easy, you know, 10, 15 point, don't sweat it out. And then you're starting to sweat some out. You're starting to think, okay, you look at it two ways. One, they still are finishing games and picking up wins. Yes. Two, the scary part is they're not particularly great, so they're getting ready to hit a point in conference play. Do they take the step up and ready to take the mantle as the best team in the Southern Conference? Or are some of those weaknesses not going to be figured out and they're going to find themselves dropping some conference games and either not the top seed but, you know, two, three, four, somewhere in that regard? And I think that's what's kind of where I'm at. Where do they go from here? And so the first two games of this Southern Conference Women's Slavers begins tonight against Sanford at 7 o'clock. Keith will be on here at 6.30 if you want to listen to it on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Yes. And then at 2 o'clock, it'll just be ESPN Plus. Keith will have the call of that against Mercer. Two games I think we would sit here and say winnable games. You would assume ETSU would be the favorite at home considering what they've done in non-conference compared to the other two. Sanford's had more of a – kind of transition. They had Andrew Coynoyer, uh, who again got married, changed her name last year to Bailey. Yes. But she was a staple and one of the best players in the league for three, four years. They lost a little bit of an identity, I think, with Howard. And Gulafak transferred that. that you cannot underestimate what that meant right. to what the Sanford uh, women's basketball program and uh, Coach Coons has got to figure out. Now, I think Bowman's tremendous. She's starting to play very well. The transfer from Vanderbilt. And then the one person, as I watched a little bit of tape, just to kind of familiarize some of the new players, um, is uh, Sadie Stetson, the graduate transfer. Mm-hmm. I think she has had – I know she's only averaging eight games, but when she has blown up, there are three or four games where she has put up some gaudy numbers. So, to me, if ETSU can hold sort of Sanford to their averages, because I think Carly Heidegger is probably their best player overall to me when you watch it. Bowman's going to be a shot blocker. She's going to be close to 10 and 10 every night. Stetson can throw some big numbers up. To me, if Heidegger kind of is at her average, Bowman's at her average, it's if Stetson blows up, I think that's the X factor that could cost ETSU tonight. And I think ETSU's got to figure out a way to get a few ladies going where they've gone three or four games without double figures, one of those being yeah, Heiger is the player that intrigues me the most in terms of who matches up with her because I feel like you can put Neve Brown on a guard, Marge Banks or Stetson, take her away. You put Kettle Foley on the other one, take her away. And that really hurts what they want to do on the perimeter. Heiger's only a 29.5% three-point shooter, so she does her best work on, on the interior. So who is that matchup? Is that, that would make sense that that's Bree Beatty. And then you put Ja'Kaya Davis on uh, Bowman, but Beatty's still given a lot of size in that matchup. At Bree's what five foot uh, eight, and Heiger's six foot three, and she is a true six foot three. So that's I mean that's a big size difference. Beatty's gonna have to to make it make herself known as a defensive force here tonight. If ETSU wants to keep Hydeger off the board, if you keep Hydeger off the board, I think you can take care of everything else and you can win this game 
pretty comfortably. If you don't, then Heiger is able to get loose for – she's been in double figures four straight games. She's been north of 15 in four straight games. If she gets 15 points tonight, ETS, she's going to have a tough time winning. It's going to be – it's either going to be really close or it's going to be like last year where non-conference play, hey, great, you know, most non-conference wins ever. You come in that first game against – who is it? They open with Chattanooga? Right, it was Chattanooga. Uh, it's Chattanooga, it's the Mercer, same three right? Three teams, it's just a different order. Yeah, it was Chad, Sanford, Mercer knocked them off all at home. Yeah, and uh, yeah, they you come out against Mercer and you don't play great, and Mercer is able to get everything that they want against you or everything that they need against you. Moria Neil Tyser went off, and Mercer's a little bit different this year. We'll see Mercer this weekend. Uh, they lost. They uh, kind of tripped over their own feet in the third quarter and uh, lost to Chattanooga by more than maybe they could have. I think Chattanooga winning that game is, is not that shocking. Chattanooga, you know, picking up the OVC tournament MVP from last year, Jada Gwynn, as a grad transfer, was a heck of a get. And uh, they, she lifted them to a win with a great second half. Um, but that Mercer team still figuring some things out. They do not have Angelina Gonzalez, who we thought would be a major factor for them this year. Summa Evans is the reigning SOCOM player of the week. She was pretty good, but it wasn't enough to get him the win. Um, they've got some secondary scores and some transfers because they had to go in the portal. Real hard because Aaron Haupt left. Uh, she transferred. I forget where she. I think she ended up at San Diego State. Um, Floppy McFlopperson. Yeah, yes. Um, I think I did call her that actually. Um, but yes, you were not happy. She, she certainly she shot like 15 free throws that one. Li- yeah, listen, like she earned it. I, I didn't call her that on a broadcast, but she certainly did earn that reputation um, when she would fall down on an uncontested three. And um, you know, I just they had they have some some work to do still to figure some stuff out. And I think the Stanford team is still trying to figure out where the the depth is going to be. Where is the bench scoring? Where is the support? for a pretty good starting five because when you look at some of their games have been really competitive, right? They go to Arkansas and they hold their own. They lose by 14 at the end of it, but also they didn't crack 60. Um, You look at uh, Southern Miss, they they only scored 33. North Texas, they lose by 12 on the road there. Uh, Eastern Kentucky, North Alabama, these are teams that you should be beating as you get closer to conference play. And you lose by five at home to North Alabama. North Alabama's not particularly good. Eastern Kentucky doesn't dazzle you. They lost 59-54 to them in Richmond. And I just, I don't know. I think there's there's still a need for this team to figure out where it's, when these five are off the floor, what does it look like? That's true for a lot of SOCON teams. You would think with 15 scholarships, that all these D1 teams would be pretty deep, and it's not the case. Uh, at this level, if you've got two or three players coming off the bench that can deliver good numbers for you, you're going to have a really, really good time. You're going to be able to roll through uh, the SOCON. But, again, if there's a if there's a seventh player, an eighth player for this Sanford team, they've still got to figure out who it's going to be. Well, and I- Sanford, they really are rotating six players. Yeah, uh, that are playing significant minutes, and I'm talking, you know, 20 or more. They've got a couple right around that eight to ten minute range, which yep. isn't a lot. Right. So to me, they're rotating six, and Sanford's just trying to rely on, you know, that right now it's only got again had a graduation, they've had a transfer, they're trying to fill some of those roles, and it's going to be 
shot is going to be one of those things, too. Rebounding, three-point shooting for Sanford, that's kind of their game. If they can get that going. Yeah, Marchbanks and Stetson can shoot it. Yeah, and, you know, and so if they get that going, I think, you know, that, that certainly can change complexion for them. For Mercer, has anybody heard about Gonzalez? He's only played three games. No, I, that's what I said. Like, they've yeah, been without her since early November. I haven't heard anything on that. I haven't either. That. There's been zero change. Normally, i got to be honest, we, we, we have connections a lot of places. Rick Cameron didn't know either. I asked him the other day about her specifically. Yeah, I've been told. So I don't, I don't know what's going on there. But certainly that would change the complexion of Saturday's game, I think, if, uh, or really for Mercer in general. Um, and they've been playing a little better as of late if it, you look at the it's, early season. It's almost like a lack of local journalists hurts everybody and makes us all less informed. Yes. Podcaster's not good. Not yes. good. Yeah. Are, are, we, are, are we technically local journalists? I mean, uh, no. I would say no. No. I would say no. Media figures, perhaps, more uh, more opaque term for media figures. Not journalists. Talent. Are we talent? That's a little strong. <laughs> that that maybe. Homers. That, uh, yeah, yeah, you are, for sure. Yeah. Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber. <laughs> that uh, sounds right. Yeah. Um, Again, I'm regretting you having called me. Actually, oh, so. I know you are. Um, Samford tonight, 7 o'clock. Mercer Saturday, 2 o'clock, same time as the men playing Furman Paladins. We want to talk about some football. I do want to. Oh, I don't, have, I don't have my football sounder on here yet. Um. Golly, what are, what are we going to do now? Hit a button. Uh, let's just hit this button. Now you're like me. Well, I, I lost one. And he who hesitates is lost. All right, right let's, let's talk, talk about football. Oh, wait. And Drew Chronic has left yes. Mercer to take the offensive coordinator's job at Navy. So I the chronic used to like has Drew Chronic, and now I am not a Chronic uh, fan. Not a fan of the Chronic. Uh, he goes to Navy. So, um, sorry, Doug Homer. So, National Search, which I find interesting because the timing of this. And, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, there could be a shift because right now, obviously, with, you know, somebody, a coordinator, if it's a coordinator from somewhere else taking the Mercer job, it's not a big a monkey wrench in the carousel of things. If a head coach of some said whatever university would take the job, and I wouldn't be shocked if the number back to Lamar Ryan, where they've had success getting Drew Chronic, then, again, not that big. But if there is an FCS coach willing to move to Mercer, then that changes everything about as much as not to the extreme of what Alabama's trickle down with Nick Saban could do, depending on who takes the job. Right. It could because the Nick Saban job could do a three to four team trickle down, depending on how things work out. For Mercer, I think the only thing that would throw a lot of things off would be if another 
FCS head coach would take the job. Mercer in the past has been willing to look a little bit different to get their head coaches. And again, I think they may go back with Mel Ryan um, to look at that, that kind of tree. Yeah, so Mike Jacobs has done a phenomenal job over there. Um, as you would expect, right, you would expect Lenore Ryan is typically a, um, a power. Well, and he's one, and he's one everywhere too. Yeah, he's and, and the other the other one to me, if it's just if you're thinking about D two coaches, Tremaine Jackson at Valdosta yeah, State is a is a rising star. I know he was on some radars in Texas. He's got Texas ties. Does that matter to you if you're Mercer? Do you really care that much? I don't think you do. Um, Mike Jacobs is a Midwest guy by trade. He's from Ohio originally. Um, you actually were up at uh, Notre Dame College. Yep. So uh, when, his when accolades. Yeah, when he went to Cleveland, because yeah. he built that program from, from scratch. So what is the – Mercer is going to need to significantly overhaul its offense anyway because you lose your starting quarterback. I believe Kirk Peavy is in the transfer portal. He's in the portal. Yes. Uh, and then so – go, <laughs> Can we play that game? Where's a good landing spot for him? Do I do it? Uh, we can. But uh, Yeah, go ahead and finish that thought. Yeah. Uh, Ty James as – Done. He's going pro. Uh, he's out of eligibility, so of course he's going pro. Devron Harper, same deal. So you're already losing a significant percentage of your offense. And Ty James, uh, full disclosure, I voted for Ty James for SoCon Player of the Year because he's one of the best receivers I've seen at this level in a very long time. Uh, he could basically get open at will. I, I think he is going to end up on a pro roster somewhere. And uh, you got to replace that guy. I think they got some veterans on defense that were getting ready to, to graduate. And you know, Mercer's kind of in a bind because their defensive coordinator got hired by West Georgia. Like you, you probably had a decent coaching prospect already in-house if you were ready to uh, make this move in December. right? If you make this move in December, then you probably hang on to um, somebody that's on the radar of a uh, – uh, head coaching search for a transitioning D2 into D1, and Joel Taylor instead is now the head coach at a rival institution in the state. So I, I would say, yeah, go D2 head coach. Uh, that would be my recommendation. Go find somebody that's done it before. Uh, but I, I don't think now at this juncture, I think it's tough to have an internal candidate when you've already had all the staff turnover don't have anybody that's necessarily built up a ton of clout there, that could be tough. I think that could be really tough to, to pull off. But the SOCON to me is interesting because I already thought Mercer might take a step back. Well, now they lose their head coach. Let me ask you this. Do you think that the SOCON has a national contender? Just out of the box, we roll up August Twenty first, twenty twenty four. We're getting ready to start the football season. Do you see a SoCon team in the national conversation? I would, would checking no roster off the top of my head and not knowing. Um, we've not done a portal watch in a long time, so I'm a little unfamiliar. The, only, the obvious one to start with would be Furman because they went furthest in the playoffs. Special teams cost them in the game in Montana. I know they're but bringing a few guys back. DiMaggio's back. Uh, some of the other defensive guys are back. Blackshear's gone. That's what I was going to look at. Um, I mean, Huff has gone. Now, they had a little 
suggest with the, the backup quarterback, Kip Kamara, will, yes, he'll be, but he'll be the guy. There's some offensive linemen gone, which I think was probably some of their strength. Carson Jones is the is the guy. Carson Jones, thank you. Again, I haven't been kind of prepared. I like, I like these, though. I like when you, because that way you're getting kind of my thoughts without me uh, digging in. Furman's got a lot of question marks to get back there. Um, that would be the first obvious. Then I would go, okay, who are the other two playoff teams? Well, Chattanooga was one. You know, where do they go? You know, Lynn Ford played with that injury pretty much all year, it turns out. Appleberry's back. Um, had a couple receivers, I think, go in the portal. So that's going to be interesting, interesting to see what they do there. I uh, who are you talking about? Uh, Chattanooga. Yes, Jamoy Mays went in the portal. Yeah, so uh, I think it was another one, but he's the biggest one. But uh, they had some guys go in the portal there. They lose some defensive players as well. Person, a few others are not. And, and they'll have to replace the entire left side of their offensive line. And we don't know what Artopis is going to do coming back from a season-ending injury yeah, late in the year. With the shoulder year. injury. Yeah, so shoulder. That, that's also that. So, you know, there's question marks there. Mercer we just talked about. So those are the three playoff teams knocking on the door. Westerns maybe another one of those question marks because, you know, the younger Bell left to take the job at Pittsburgh, took a few players with him, and when people have kind of flipped out, I was like, well, he was running his dad's offense, and his dad has perfected that over the last 20-some years. So I don't know the offense is going to take a massive step back on what it was going. I'd rather Coach Bell goes back to calling plays or trusting somebody else to call plays, but they're running the system that he had built and put in place. Yes. He may not have called the individual plays, but I guarantee you he was in that room having a lot to say on offense. They got better defensively, and and, let, and again, I've not checked the portal. Unless they had a few offensive linemen go in the portal, they're going to return a pretty solid offensive line. And so I think Western could be – that's that's one I'd be curious to see. Here's, here's another data point in favor of Western. And for, for my money, the answer to my own question is no. I don't think there yeah, is an out-of-the-box national title contender, not. national conversation team. I don't think there's a team that you're looking at immediately like, well, this is a top-four team in the country. No way. Um, Western Carolina is at Montana on September 21st. You go up there, and even if you lose on a last-second field goal, like you lose the game, but you lose like it's a tight game. It's a firm and overtime game. Give them that. Yes. That, that's I think that puts you on the radar where if you go into the SOCON and you ball out, you're going to get some love nationally. But you got to earn it. Everybody in the SOCON is in a position where you must, you must re-earn what you have earned, which is probably the way their coaches like it. Hendricks probably likes it that way. Rusty Wright probably likes it that way. Those guys are probably saying, hey, I would rather my guys have nothing to fall back on. It's like you have no laurels upon which to rest. You have to earn everything that you get all over again. Last year doesn't mean anything anymore. I think that rhetorical um, message is something that coaches can, can grab onto to motivate their teams. And I think you'll see some decent SOCOM football, even though there's turnover and there's lots of question marks and you expect certain teams to take a step back. Certain teams have key positions they have to fill. We talk about Chattanooga. We talk about Clemson Furman. Um, Western Carolina is going to need a new number one wide receiver, but I think they can go get that. I think they already have a number one running back on the team. 
uh, to replace Des Reed next year because Des Reed wasn't the number one guy two seasons ago. He had to climb that ladder, and eventually he did, and it took him a year, and he broke out in a big way and became one of the best offensive players in the country. Um, so I look at that and I say this is the SOCON being thrown a gauntlet. You have to run this gauntlet with some measure of success and nothing will be given to you. And I think this is true for any conference other than the Valley and the Big Sky anymore. In FCS, you have to earn it every single year if you're going to get a seed, if you're going to get multiple bids in the playoffs, you have to earn it every single year. The UAC is going to have to re-earn it. Austin P with the new head coach, going to have to re-earn everything. Tarleton went 8-3 and three last year, but they got to earn it. Again, um, and this is, I believe this is their first year of playoff eligibility coming up. So Tarleton will be interesting. Um, Eastern Kentucky has to earn everything. Eastern Kentucky didn't even make the playoffs. Central Arkansas was right on the cusp. They got to earn it again. Um, when you look at the CAA, Delaware's going up. So Richmond, uh, William & Mary, and William & Mary kind of frittered it away at the end of the season. New Hampshire, all these teams, they have to earn it every single year. There is no, well, they just won two national championships so we can cut South Dakota State. They, they get like a game or two's worth of slack in conference play. If you step on a rake, you're done. And if you go out and you compete against the big dogs and you show that you are capable of competing against the big dogs, then people will respond to that. But if you go, if Western Carolina goes to Montana and loses 42-17, to 17, forget it. If North Dakota State comes down here and beats the brakes off of ETSU, forget it. I mean, it doesn't, it, it, you know, whatever you do, well, in the years, too. Uh, if those teams come in, if you go to their place or they come to your place and blow you out, those powers blow you out, then you are clearly a tier below them, and that will be held against you come selection time. So my question is, because I'm looking at the non-conference schedules for the entire league, besides the two conferences, Big Sky, Missouri Valley, the other one that gets an absurd amount of teams in is the CAA. Right, and there are plenty of matchups here for that. Yes, and I think that's one where the SOCON can maybe get an extra team into the playoffs on the bubble. I will also say um, losing JMU and now losing Delaware, CAA ain't that good anymore. I agree, but there seems to be. I I think the CAA has come back to the field, and what we've seen precedent-wise for the CAA, because the teams are different now, I don't know that it holds up quite the same way. So I'm going to play a game. I'm going to name everybody's non-conference game, and you tell me if if this game matters to the league or not. Okay. All right, now I'm going to start out medical word. The Citadel's going to play Charleston Southern. Yeah, yes, you need to win that game. You need to win that game to not embarrass yourself. South Carolina State. I'll say yes. Again, right. same reason because they've got a new head coach. They're trying to re- recalibrate what yeah, they're I'm going to throw out North Greenville and Clemson. I would say yes. Uh, obviously, I, yeah. I'm going to take out, do they pull an upset against Clemson? Take all of that out. Let's just right, say right, right, right. every team beats the non-D1 they play and every team loses the money game, just for yes. the sake of what I'm trying to do real quickly. ETSU, again, alphabetical order. App State, I'm taking them out. Virginia Wise, taking them out. North Dakota State, Nat Elon. North Dakota State can get you into the bubble conversation. Elon keeps you from being excluded from the bubble conversation, in my opinion. That's that's where I look at, like, well, that's what I'm trying. so how many get – so out of those, obviously – 
Yes, if Citadel lose South Carolina State, that's not helpful. That's what I'm saying. I, right. Those are those games are unhelpful. But if you want to talk about, okay, this that, game's going to get a team into the that, bubble. That, which games are the most right. important SoCon games to make a statement to the playoff committee? Those are the games I want. ETSU, North Coast State, ETSU at Elon, okay. Furman at William & Mary. Uh, I don't – Mercer's non-conference is Princeton, Alabama, and Presbyterian. No, thank you. Um Samford. No, they don't got one either. No. Chattanooga plays two FBS games. Got to beat North Alabama at home. At Austin P. maybe. Um, yeah, depending on how they bounce or stay. And, that, and that's late in the year, so right now, no, but maybe. Western Carolina at Elon, Western Carolina at Montana, Western Carolina versus Campbell. So basically their whole non-conference. Yep. Um, Wofford also plays at Richmond and William & Mary at home. You win those games, that gets you in the conversation. But, I mean, now you have not. So that's yeah. not. That's what I really wanted to get to. That's nine non-conference right. important statement games. So if the SoCon goes three and six, they're not going to have a lot of claim to get teams in. You're probably a two-bid league at that point. Okay. They go five and four, probably similar. Now you go six and three, seven and two. Let's say you go seven and two, and you only you you win all the CA games just for the sake of I'm just spitball. That's an easy three bid league and potential for four. Six and two. All right, let's go seven and two. Western ETSU pull off the upset. Everybody, I'm just saying. That's what I I was trying to do. Yeah, if Wofford Wofford wins two CAA games, then Wofford is in the mix. And also, you feel like they have a pretty good chance against Gardner Webb at that point. If they're winning winning the other two games, they're beating Gardner Webb. Yeah, so they're three and oh to start. You go four and four in SOCOM play, and you're. Seven a couple CAA teams and everything else, I think you're all right. And depend on, yeah. I guess, depend on who you lost to in the Southern Conference. But let's don't play that game. Let's just play. Yeah. You win the non-conference, and then you do what you got to do to have seven or eight wins to get into the playoffs. Right. Um, yeah, Wofford, Western. VMI's schedule is decent, but I don't expect VMI to win in most of those games. They got Richmond and who else, right? Uh, VMI is at William & Mary, Bucknell, oh, at William Georgia Tech, Maryland. Norfolk State. So they, they if they go two and two. So William Mary's got out. a couple of games against SoCon teams. Uh, William Mary has yes, they have three games against SoCon teams. They play Wofford, VMI, and Furman. Well, that's good. If William if William and Mary wins all three of those games, then William and Mary's probably going to the playoffs. Or and, win in the Southern Conference. And if the SoCon <laughs> and if the SoCon wins those three games, then that puts a SoCon team over probably a CAA bubble team that William and Mary will likely beat at some point in time. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna come up with something. We're gonna dive into that when we get into the you know, spring here and killing time. I'll, yeah, we'll come in with it. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll. spring football. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to spring football. We get to see a lot of new guys. Yeah, a lot. A lot. Matter of fact, I was trying to ask uh, Kevin Brown when we get a roster. I'm gonna start like studying. I haven't had to do that in a while. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean there's been you haven't had to do that since like 1996. Uh, I was the 2015. That's when I started. <laughs> 20. I didn't study 96. 2018. Oh, that's right. That's the one where you took, like, the one extra class right. to graduate. Well, that was 2000 coming down. That was, oh, that, yeah, that was, yeah, That was yeah, the 2000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I took the, we that looked was, it up. I had to take two extra classes to graduate. So. Oy. Yeah. All right. So, uh, that's our show. Uh, for now, you got something else you want to hit it real quick? No. I didn't think so. All right. Uh, I know we said two shows, but, you know, things out happen. Next week... Uh, we coming on a holiday. Tuesday we got a retreat. So we're do that. Oh, I thought that got canceled. The retreat? Yeah. 
Junior staff yeah. for now. It'll be the Keith, the Keith show. Yes, yeah, it will. Yes, it will. Maybe, Maybe you'll have a guest. Actually, hmm. that's not a bad idea. Yeah. I might do that. It's Keith and guest. Keith and Keith. guest. It's just Keith. It's the breakdown with Keith Break. You have to throw it back old school. Oh yeah, baby. Listen, if you want to bring it back, we can bring it back. But I, I can even go trademark it and license it to us. All right, next week. Jay and Keith, maybe without Jay, on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Nobody lets Keith to be a guest. Oh, you got to be kidding me. Admiral has the con.